0: Amen. I'll tell you, we are thoroughly excited and thankful for the turnout we had in DT tonight. Uh, That was just fantastic. And I truly get excited when the church gets excited about going out and sharing the gospel. And uh, I think Tim would have been pretty proud. What do you think, Miss Barbara? I'll tell you what, that was just awesome seeing that group of great people in there and just excited. And like Brother David said, if you miss tonight, that's okay. Come next week. Uh, you won't regret it. I promise you. Uh, it is a great tool. We really start getting into it until week three uh, where we begin to start learning how to share and talk with individuals and then we begin crafting a message. I promise you will really, really enjoy it. And, uh, and so we're thankful for those that came out tonight. And, uh, and I did not tell Troy to turn it down. I don't know where. I just sent my wife a text that said... Y'all sure are loud. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't even think straight. I don't know how I talked because they were so loud up there tonight. I just wish Troy would get excited sometime. Don't you guys? I, I don't know. Just wish he'd get excited. But I praise the Lord for it. We're going to take up our offering. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer tonight. Father, thank you so much for the time we've already had today. God, again, I want to thank you for the young lady this morning sharing about her decision this week. Oh, God, how exciting that is. We're so thankful to see people come to know you. That is what it's all about. And I thank you for those that came tonight. Lord, showing excitement and uh, ready to learn how to share the gospel. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for those that were involved in choir and those that were with Children's Church and the uh, Children's Choir and the Preschool Choir. God, we just have so much going on. It is just a blessing to see what you're doing here. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And, Lord, I know so many other churches, uh, God, that while this pandemic's going on, they don't know what step to take next. And, Lord, we we just come to a point. We just open the doors and let it go. And, God, we just pray that you just continue to protect us and watch over us. But God, we're just not going to stop worshiping you. We're not going to stop serving you. In fact, with the pandemic going on, we need to serve you more. We need to share you more. Because there are more people that are dying and going to hell today than there ever have been. And so, Lord, we've got a job. We've got a ministry. We've got a purpose, and we've got to get to it. Father, bless this offering that we're about to partake. Use it for the furtherance of your kingdom to your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. you picked up your little handout we had out front. Um, If we ran out of them, uh, we may have. Uh, If you need a copy, we can make sure that we get you a copy. We'll have something like this each week, and uh, basically we'll have some notes for you. Uh, That way you can go home, you can read it, you can look over it. Uh, I'm not going to read all my notes, all right? I'm not going to do that. Uh, Tonight is going to be a little bit different uh, than most nights, all right? And uh, it's going to be different really than all the nights because we're not really going to talk about a particular doctrine or theology tonight. What tonight is is just kind of a baseline to help you understand why we are Southern Baptist, but also to understand how each of the different denominations were started. Now, I can't go over every denomination, okay? I just need to go ahead and tell you that right now. There are over 200 denominations within Christianity. Did you know that? Some of you are like, I think I know five or six of them, right? Uh, There's actually considered to have over 200 different denominations within Christianity, and so I couldn't pick them all. I also picked some that, I'll be honest with you, uh, even though they may be called Christian, I don't believe they are. And I'm going to share that as well. And I want you to understand why I'm a Southern Baptist. How many of you know why you're a Southern Baptist? Anybody? How many of you say you know you're a Southern Baptist, you know why you're a Southern Baptist? How many of you are Southern Baptist because that's just where you were raised? How many of you are Southern Baptist or how many of you didn't even know you were a Southern Baptist? <laughs> okay, that's good, 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 good. I figured there might be a few. You just never know. <laughs> this is a Southern Baptist church? I don't get it. Uh, but anyways... We want you to take a look, and I wanted to read one scripture tonight, uh, just because I think this is important, because if you're ever like me, you've probably made the statement before, I just don't understand why there are so many denominations. Have you ever wondered that? Why can't we all just get along, right? Why is it that one thing, and that's, that's really the key, is all of a sudden they were in this denomination, and maybe one or two things, they kind of got off kilter, and they decided to go start another denomination, And it's been going on for a while. But I also want you to understand that we did all come from one church. Are you ready for this? And it wasn't Baptist. Now some of y'all might be like, now wait a minute, Brother John. I know the original denomination was Baptist. We go all the way back to John the Baptist. (laughs) No, we don't. I would love to tell you that's true, but no, we don't, all right? That's not true, not even close to being true. Uh, We're not really that old of a denomination, to be honest with you. Uh, We were founded in the 1800s, so there were many more denominations before Southern Baptists, so you need to know that. So we don't go that far back, but we will talk about where we all came from, and we'll talk about these different denominations. But here's the verse of Scripture I wanted to read, because I feel that this is important. Because as Christians, this is true if you believe the true facts of what it takes for salvation. And we're going to spend five weeks on that. But listen to this. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. All right? So when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Baptist neighborhood and a Pentecostal neighborhood and a Methodist neighborhood. I know that just shocks you, right? Right? We're not going to be divided up in heaven. We're not going to be strolling the gates. And, you know, there's this old joke about, you know, there was a uh, a Pentecostal that went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, uh, Peter was there to kind of show him around heaven. And he walked him through and he showed him the pearly gates and the golden streets and the crystal sea. And the Pentecostal was just oohing and on all over heaven. And they get to the end of the tour and... Peter looks over there at the Pentecost. He says, man, he said, "Uh, do you have any questions? And the Pentecost goes, yeah. He said, what's that wall there? And Peter goes, shh, that's the Baptists. They think they're the only ones up here. (laughs) We do need to understand denominations and where they came from. But we do need to understand that we all did at one time come from one church. A Christian denomination... Is a distinct religious body within Christianity identified by traits such as name, organization, leadership, and doctrine. The Catholic Church is the largest Christian denomination, and we'll talk a little bit about that, with roughly 1.2 billion members, over half of all Christians worldwide. This world's second largest religious denomination after Sunni Islam. All right, now you go down a little bit further, it talks about Protestant denominations how many of you know that you are protestant all right good we can define you a little bit further and we'll get to that in just a moment but you are protestant a protestant is anyone that separated from the catholic church so guess what the original denomination was catholicism right they all branched from catholicism and we'll explain why that happened and for what reasons all these different denominations began to branch away from them. But at one point, all Christians went through the Catholic Church. Protestants, there's another word that we can use to define you as Baptist, and it's the word evangelical. Evangelical means we believe in the gospel and in the spreading of the gospel. So that defines Protestantism even a little bit more. So you could call yourself a Protestant Evangelical Southern Baptist. I know y'all just love all those different names and titles, right? But that's really kind of the category that we fall into. Now, you'll see I even give you a graph on there kind of showing you where the different denominations came from. Now, what's interesting is when you look at it, you see Baptist, you see the Reformed churches, uh, you see Presbyterian, the Congregationalism, Anglicanism. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but, you know, the early Catholic church was ruled by one guy, right? And it still is today. He's known as the Pope, all right? Do you realize that they believe that the Pope has just as much authority as the Word of God? That's why they got away from Catholicism. Because let me tell you something. There's not a man in this world that has the authority of the Word of God. Not one. And here's what's interesting is the popes over time have contradicted each other. So what sense does that make? But you need to understand that when you look at these different denominations... Now a lot of people say, what's that Anabaptist? Did we come from them? Well, in a sense... We did. How many of you have ever heard of Anabaptist? Okay. And Anabaptist, the the terminology basically means against baptism. Now you're going, no, we're not Anabaptist. We're not against baptism. Well, hold on a second. It's really against infant baptism. Because here's what happened. The Anabaptists were one of the very first denominations to branch away from Catholicism. And the reason being is they didn't believe in what was called infant baptism. They believed in what was called believer's baptism. And so, actually, the Anabaptists a lot of times were called rebaptizers. A rebaptizer, how many of you were baptized more than once? Okay. Now, more than likely, none of you were baptized as an infant, right? Was anybody baptized as an infant? We do, okay, there was a few, all right? There are some. Now, you think about this. My, uh, And that's not just in Catholicism. There are actually a lot of different denominations that do infant baptisms. And what they adhere to with that infant baptism is, is that God will hold your place in line until you get saved. In other words, it's almost like a pre-guarantee that you're going to go to heaven. That's not a good thing, is it? Because what happens to the person that's baptized as an infant and holds on to that the rest of their life and never gives their life to Jesus? Well, they're holding on to a false hope. And the Anabaptist said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, the Anabaptist said, here's the way it's supposed to be you get baptized after you get saved, and you don't get baptized before you get saved. That's why many of you in here have probably been baptized more than once, right? I was baptized when I was five years old. I got baptized because everybody else was getting baptized and I thought it looked good. And everybody else was doing it, so I had to do it. So I prayed a prayer with the pastor and got baptized. It wasn't until I was 18 years old that I recognized that I really didn't have a relationship with God and surrendered my life to Him. Now, sadly, at 18 years old, I didn't get baptized again. I said, you know what? I was already baptized. Then I got into a church and I started preaching and I realized that you get baptized after you get saved. And I'm preaching this to people, and guess what? I wasn't baptized after I got saved. We had an evangelist in my first year, it's my first year preaching at church. And I said, Hey, I need you to do me a favor. I said, I've been telling all these people that if they didn't have their order right, they need to get their order right. And guess what? I need to get the order right. Will you baptize me? Now, I was pastoring a church. Now, I made sure I let them know, guys, I didn't just get saved. All right. I've been saved for years, I just didn't do it in the proper order. And so I got baptized. That's what the Anabaptists were doing. They were rebaptizing those that had been baptized as infants after they became believers in Christ. And the church began to persecute them and turn against them. Now... I want you to understand why we branched away, but I want you to, we're going to first look at Southern Baptists, because that's who we are. Now, did you know that we can also call ourselves another name? The Southern Baptist Convention, about 10, 11 years ago, decided that Southern Baptists had some bad connotations with it. There's just something bad about being in the South. Right? Really? That's horrible. That's our heritage. It's who we are. And so they had this big discussion. And because they were, here's the thing they started having Southern Baptist churches in the north. They started having Southern Baptist churches overseas. And so a lot of these places where churches were being formed were not in the south. And so they spent a oh, couple million dollars to discover that we can call ourselves Great Commission Christians, too. Aren't you thankful for the Southern Baptist Convention and their financial? Intelligence, right? You think I'm kidding, right? They spent that kind of money to discover we could call ourselves something else. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But the Southern Baptists, it's the world's largest Baptist denomination. Did you know that there are numerous Baptist denominations? How many of you grew up independent Baptist? Okay, we got a few independent. Do we have any primitive Baptist? Do we have any landmark Baptist? All right, so and there's many more. How, do we have any Northern Baptist? Seriously, there's a denomination called Northern Baptist. All right, you think about it, there, there always seems to be yet another name, there seems to be something else. Now, the Southern Baptist Church is the world's largest Baptist denomination. We have over 15 million people as of 2015 in our denomination. The word Southern, or the Southern Baptist Convention, stems from its having been founded and rooted in the southern United States. Following a split from the Northern Baptists over the issue of slavery, the immediate issue was whether slave owners could serve as missionaries. The Southern Baptist Convention was created in 1845. So we are not the earliest denomination. In fact, we're probably one of the newer denominations. But we were founded in 1845. I want you to understand the difference between an independent and a Southern Baptist church. All right, An independent Baptist church is formulated and agrees and adheres with whatever the pastor in that church teaches. They have no other church that they are adhering to. And so whatever the pastor preaches from the pulpit, that's what the church believes. Now, Southern Baptist, and you'll find on the back of this sheet... uh, you'll find the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. How many of you knew that we had a creed? All right. Baptist Faith and Message 2000. I think it's 22 things that we as Southern Baptists believe. So that's in the packet here. You can look over and see all the things that we as Southern Baptists believe. But I'm going to tell you what I love the most about the Southern Baptists. We have the absolute greatest missionary sending organization in the world the greatest. That's why I am proud to be a Southern Baptist. I'm also proud to be a Southern Baptist because I believe that we are the closest to the Bible of all the denominations. If I didn't believe that, I would be in a different denomination. All right? I believe we are the closest to the Bible. Now, can I also say this? We don't always agree on everything, but that's okay. We don't have to start a new denomination because we don't agree on something. We want to always adhere to the Word of God. That is most important for us as Christians. But as Southern Baptists, we have over 5,000 missionaries all over the world. And you may wonder, why do we emphasize Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong Easter offering? We emphasize those two offerings because the Lottie Moon goes for our international missionaries that are all over the world. In fact, our missionaries are the most envious of all missionaries. Uh, you'll hear from other missionaries of other organizations, they typically will go on the field for two years and then have to come home for two years and get funding. Our missionaries never have to come home to get funding. They can stay on the mission field as long as they want. They're given sabbaticals to come back for months to the United States about every five years, and they can come back and spend some time with family. and do, But they can stay on the mission field. Why? Because churches like ours give to the Southern Baptist Convention, and that money is dispersed among our missionaries. Every time we give an offering, part of that money goes to those missionaries. That's what makes the Southern Baptist so great. I hope you understand and know that. The second denomination that we are going to look at is the Church of God. How many of you have some friends or family that are Church of God? Okay, they come from a Pentecostal background. All right, they get a little excited. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not. But the Church of God is a descendant from the Pentecostal holiness and, get this, Seventh-day Baptist, all right, and Adventist traditions. The largest denomination with this name is the Pentecostal Church of God formed out of Cleveland, Tennessee, with over 7 million members. They were formed in Chicago, Illinois in 1919 by a group of Pentecostal ministers who had chosen not to affiliate with the assemblies. Of God, But the church of God adheres to the Pentecostal and evangelical statements of faith. The reason why I picked out the, the denominations that I picked out is this. I could actually find clear and concise statement of their doctrinal beliefs. Did you know that there are a lot of different denominations out there that you can't find clear and concise doctrinal beliefs? We had a friend one time that went across the street to a church that was across from us. And she went to the pastor and she said, Can you tell me what you believe and he said well it's on our plaque out back if you can put it on a plaque that's trouble Here's a, if you come and ask me what we believe you better have a couple of hours we're going to talk for a while and the reason why we're going to talk is there's so much that is important that we need to know so I looked at denominations where you would actually have some key things you can actually find these on the internet and they'll help you understand a little bit more about these denominations so everything that I tell you comes from them so I'm not going to tell you anything that they don't believe, or at least say on their websites what they believe. The next one is Methodist. How many of you have any Methodists in your family? All right. How many of you know that the first church that I actually worked in was a United Methodist church? Five months before they fired me, I realized I was not United Methodist. I was young, straight out of college. I went and talked to the pastor. I said, what can you tell me? I said, what's what's the difference between Southern Baptists and United Methodists? I've always been Southern Baptist, And he goes, he said, Southern Baptists are here and United Methodists are here. I thought, I can deal with that. That sounds good. I didn't go any deeper than that. It shows you I was just, I really wanted to work. really wanted to get into a church. And after about two weeks of listening to the guy and sharing some of my beliefs, I went to him and I said, well, I've asked the youth, and the youth want to go through the book of Revelation. And he goes, He said, I I just don't believe that's a good idea. And I said, well, well, why not? He goes, because what you believe is over here and what we believe is over here. (laughs) So, and it's true. I mean, I did find that out. There were a lot of basic beliefs that we disagreed on. But the United Methodists were actually derived and inspired by John Wesley. Now, you might believe that John Wesley would have started the Wesleyans, but he didn't. He started the Methodists. they were formed after he died. But some of the other great names are Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, that came out of the Methodist background. It actually originated as a revival within the 18th century Church of England and became a separate church after Wesley's death. Now, I will tell you this, that back in the 70s, the United Methodists were a very conservative denomination. Very conservative. Did you know that back in the 1970s, Southern Baptists were not very conservative? Did you know that? A lot of people don't know that. But what happened was what's called the 1979 conservative takeover. And praise God for it. In 1979, a group of Southern Baptist men, Paige Patterson, Judge Paul Pressler along with Charles Stanley and other great leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention, got together and said, you know what, we need to sit down and we need to define some conservative thoughts. And one of those was the beginning of saying that the Bible is inerrant and without any mistakes. That is the inspired Word of God. Several other things they came up with. And so in 79, the conservative takeover began. And they began to implement more conservative leadership in the Southern Baptist Church. And all of a sudden, we saw the Southern Baptists go from being very liberal to being very conservative. While that was happening, the United Methodists went from being very conservative to now being very liberal. You say, well, how do you know they're very liberal? Watch their commercials. Open hearts, open doors open minds. They accept things that are not scriptural at all. And the, the United Methodist Church is actually a dying denomination. It's been dying for 20 years now to where they've gone from about 6 million. They're now below 3 million people in their denomination. Now, here's the sad thing. You might look at us and say, well, we're Southern Baptists. We have 15 million people. Can I tell you, we've had 15 million people since the 70s. We're not growing, we're not dying. But if any indicator of it, if we're stagnant, we're dying. So don't look at that and say, well, we're, we're doing it. If we're not careful, we're not. We've got to make sure that we stand true on the Word of God. The, the Methodists adhere to Wesley's articles of religion and the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Lutheranism is another one. How many of you have any Lutherans? How many of you have ever been to a Lutheran church? church. How many of you have ever partaken of the Lord's Supper in a Lutheran church? Okay, just a couple of us. You might say, well, Brother John, why are you asking that question? Well, they don't use grape juice. (laughs) And they don't use individual cups either. It's a common cup. I went with a friend of mine. I was about 12 years old. And we went to his Lutheran church. And I remember we're sitting there. And the Lord's Supper comes up. And he goes, ooh, ooh. This is the good part of church. (laughs) I didn't know what he was talking about. I soon found out. I did not drink it, though. I didn't take it. All right. But it was interesting. Now, the Lutherans, it is founded... Or they're founded upon the principles of a guy by the name of Martin Luther. Now, not who most of you are probably thinking. Not Martin Luther King Jr. All right? Now, Martin Luther King Jr. was named after Martin Luther. Martin Luther is the reformer of the church. In other words, he's the very one that stood up to the Catholic church and said... Now, here's the thing. Martin Luther never wanted to separate from the Catholic church. He wanted to reform... The Catholic Church. He came up with what was called the 95 theses. 95 things that he found wrong with the Catholic Church. He went to their door and he nailed it to the door. When he did that, he became a target of the Catholic Church. They tried on many occasions to kill Martin Luther. In fact, anyone that stood against Catholicism, They tried to kill them back in those days. It's kind of scary, isn't it? In fact, many a Christian was created as a torch on the street. They would dip them in oil and burn them if they stood against the Catholic church. You need to understand at what peril these great men of God stood up to a church that had fallen far away from its biblical sense. And these men were willing to give their life like Zwingli. John Huss and other great reformers who stood up for the truth. But Lutheranism was founded off of that. He was a German friar. His greatest desire was to get the Word of God into the hands of the people. You have a copy of God's Word because Martin Luther said it was important for you to have your own copy. At that point, the only ones that had a copy of God's Word were the priests. And the priests could only preach particular messages that were sent down from above. And they would preach messages like you had to work for your salvation. They would preach about purgatory. And they would preach about ways that you could pay to get your aunt and uncle who you loved out of purgatory so they could build their huge cathedrals. Don't believe me? Look at the history. It's all there. It's all there. Luther said, we'll not stand for it. In fact, there were two things that Luther really wanted to stand up. One was authority in the church. He believed that the Pope had too much authority. He believed that one man did not have a divine stance. He believed that the Word of God needed to be put into the hands of every believer and they needed to read it for themselves. But he also was willing to die for his thoughts on justification. He believed that the church was not teaching the truth about salvation. They were teaching that you had to follow certain sacraments And Martin Luther said, it's not about the sacraments, it's by the grace of God you're saved. And when he stood up for the grace of God, that's when they tried to kill him. He began to teach that. It's amazing what Luther started. We can thank God for Luther, but the Lutherans actually got far away from Luther's belief, unfortunately. But they adhere to what they call the, most Lutherans call the Book of Concord, is what their beliefs are founded in. The next group we look at are the Presbyterians. How many of you have family or friends that are Presbyterian? All right. They also may refer to themselves as being reformed. Maybe you've heard that terminology before. Presbyterians uh, were derived from the name Presbyterian from form of church government, which is governed by representative assembly of elders. In fact, in the Presbyterian church, the elders rule the church. It's known as reformed ecclesiology. They believe that the Bible teaches that in every church there was a multitude of elders, and those elders made all the decisions for the church. And so if you go into a Presbyterian church, they don't have business meetings because the elders decide what goes on in the church. Along with a reformed ecclesiology, they also have a reformed uh, uh, soteriology. In other words, their theology is reformed as well. They believe in what's known as Calvinism. Maybe you've heard that term before. If you ever find a Presbyterian, they will be a Calvinist. It's in their doctrines. It's who they are. We'll actually talk about that in several weeks as well, what Calvinism is, and also Arminianism. We'll talk about those, and we'll talk about them scripturally. But that's what the Presbyterians are. Their theology typically emphasizes the sovereignty of God, the authority of Scriptures, and the necessity of grace through faith in Christ. Uh, Just to give you an idea of what Reformed theology is, is God chose you, and therefore you got saved, not because you chose him, but he chose you. That's Reformed theology. You had nothing to do with your salvation. God did it all for you. And they use a flower called the tulip, and we'll talk about that in several weeks. But it simply comes to, you have. if you believe that, you also have to believe if God chose some to go to heaven, he chose the others to go to hell. So you have to throw out verses of whosoever. You have to throw out a lot of verses in Scripture to believe it. The next one is the Pentecostal movement, initially known as the revivalist movement. How many of you guys have ever heard of the Azusa Street revival? Very few people have heard of it, but that is where most Pentecostal denominations came from. It was a revival that happened on Azusa Street. I believe it was in the 1900s. Uh, Charles Parham, uh, an, an American evangelist and faith healer, began teaching that speaking in tongues was Bible evidence of spirit baptism, all right? They teach what's known as a secondary baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that the only way you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is if you speak in tongues, all right? I'm going ask a question. Anybody in here speak in tongues? Some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand. (laughs) Hey, can I tell you something? It is a spiritual gift. We'll get to that when we talk about what's called cessationism. It is a spiritual gift, it's in the scriptures several times. All right? But he believed that there was a second giving. But here's the truth of the matter when it comes right down to it when you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit, there is no second dose. Ephesians said there's one Holy Spirit. And you have the same Holy Spirit that Pentecostals have, that Methodists have, that Presbyterians have, the Church of God has, and all the other denominations have. We have one Holy Spirit. The next one is the Nazarene. How many of you know any Nazarenes? Now, this one's far fewer. It's much smaller, but it emerged from the 19th century holiness movement in North America. Uh, It is the largest Wesleyan holiness denomination. The Church of Nazarene adheres to seven characteristics. Meaningful worship, theological coherence, passionate evangelism, intentional discipleship, church development, transformational leadership, and purposeful compassion. The Church of Nazarene adheres to the manual Church of the Nazarene. Nazarenes have established 16 articles of faith as a guiding principle for living Christianity. Now we're going to get into so-called denominations that in a lot of ways they are A good possibility there are other religions. I'll just say that. The first one is Catholicism. It comes from the Greek word universal doctrine. Now, there are many different Catholics. There are Roman Catholicism. There's Greek Orthodox Catholicism. And there's several others as well. Churches in the Catholic tradition administer seven sacraments or sacred mysteries. Baptism, Confirmation, uh, Eucharist, Penance anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony. In Catholicism, a sacrament is considered to be an efficacious, visible sign of God's invisible grace. Now, I'm going to tell you why I would say that in most part, Catholics are another religion than a denomination. Now, let me throw this out there so you hear, I want you to hear this clearly. Are some Catholics saved and going to heaven? Yes. Now, let me throw this out there. Are some Southern Baptists going to hell? Yes. Yes. Okay? I met a a Roman Catholic uh, at our first church. He was actually doing some brickwork on the church. I went out there and talked to him. And as we began to talk, he began to share his faith with me and talk to me about what he believed. And after we got through talking about it, I said, why do you go to a Roman Catholic church? You don't even believe what they believe. He didn't worry about the sacraments because they believe that you have to have the sacraments to help with your relationship with God to go to heaven. Here's the problem, the biggest problem that I have with the Catholic Church. They believe that you will go to purgatory. It doesn't matter how good you are, but you have to pay for your sins during this time called purgatory because God's grace on the cross was not enough for you. That is straight from the pit of hell. If God's grace on the cross is not enough for you, you're not saved. And you're going to find yourself in hell, plain and simple. There's no amount of penance that can make up for it. There's no amount of purgatory that can make up for it. That is the greatest problem in the Catholic Church. And it was started to build their cathedrals. It wasn't in their earliest doctrines. It was later created to help build their great buildings. Most pro- people have a problem with the Roman Catholics because of their, their way they raise up Mary. Now, not all of them do, but a lot of them do. And I'll just simply say this. Mary was an ordinary woman chosen by God to do an extraordinary work. She was a regular woman. They try to pin her as being sinless. She was not sinless. She needed Jesus for her Savior just like you and I do. And we need to make certain that we're clear on that. So Catholicism, again, there are some Catholics who are saved. But in a lot of ways, Catholicism really is another religion, not a denomination. How about Church of Christ? Now, this one might hit home, right? we got a big Church of Christ here in Lebanon, don't we? And I'm going to tell you what scares me about Church of Christ. On the second sentence of the paragraph, it says, They seek to base doctrine and practice on the Bible alone in order to be the church described in the New Testament. Churches of Christ teach that God saves and adds to the church those who hear the gospel, believe in Christ, repent of sin, confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I'd be fine with them if they stopped there. Are baptized for the remission of sins and live according to God's will. If you believe you have to be baptized to go to heaven, you are adding to the grace of God. And you don't know God's grace at all. Baptism is the first step of obedience. It is not a part of my relationship with God for salvation. The Church of Christ, a lot of times, they will have the waters continuously filled nonstop. And if somebody, and I remember we had a Church of Christ that are uh, around us there in Alabama, and I remember the pastor saying one time he had to go to the church at three in the morning to baptize somebody, they had just gotten saved. Why? Because if he didn't baptize them right then, they were going to be stay lost. I always bring up the thief on the cross. You know, they don't really have an answer for that one. I bring up those that make deathbed confessions. Have you ever met somebody that gave their life to the Lord right before they passed into glory? I have. You can't baptize them. Are they going to hell because they didn't get baptized? No. Are they any less of a Christian because they didn't get baptized? No, they're not. If you add baptism to salvation, you are taking away from the grace of God, and that's my gravest concern. Let's look at Seventh-day Adventists. Now, this is the one that it's a little iffy, okay? I could consider them another denomination and not another religion. How many of you know any Seventh-day Adventist? I'll tell you what, that's the hardest work in church, they build their own buildings. I mean, they, they put the work to it. They really do. But the problem with many Seventh-day Adventists is they believe that you have to worship on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, right? Why in the world do we worship on Sunday? It's the Lord's Day, the day He was resurrected. The early church move to worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week, after the resurrection, as opposed to worshiping on the Sabbath. But the Seventh-day Adventists believe you got to worship on the Sabbath. Now, if, if they just worship on the Sabbath, hey, can I tell you something? If you worship on Saturday, that doesn't make you any less if you worship on Saturday instead of Sunday. But if you say you have to worship on Saturday, it's just as bad as saying you have to worship on Sunday. Do you hear that? God doesn't care what day you worship Him. We could have church on a Monday if you want, on a Tuesday, on a a Thursday, right? It doesn't matter. All days are holy to the Lord. We just pick to worship on Sunday as the Lord's day. So as long as they adhere to that, I'm just fine with it. The next one's the Jehovah's Witnesses. How many of you know any Jehovah's Witnesses? How many of them have had them come to your house? How many of you invited them in? They're awesome. I love them. I love them. I really do. You say, well, why is that? Because I love to witness to them. The Jehovah's Witnesses were founded by a man named Charles Taz Russell. They also, and and can I tell you something? If they offer you a watchtower, please take it. Seriously, take it. Trash it. It's one less thing they can give out to somebody else. Seriously, that's what I do every time. I'll take it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, will you read it later? No, I won't. It's going right here in the trash. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'll play origami with it, make a paper airplane out of it, whatever, but I'm not reading it. All right. And you say, well, why? They have 8.3 million adherents involved in evangelism. Convention attendance figures are around 17 million. There are memorial attendance of more than 20 million. Now, doesn't that sound a little humorous, right? You say, well, what do you mean, does that sound a little humorous? Well, because when Charles Tess Russell founded it, there could only be 144,000. Yeah. Well, they're a little bit over that. And the reason being is because only 144,000 were going to be allowed into heaven. I wonder which one God gets to choose, Right? Now, the real issue with Jehovah's Witnesses is really not about the 144,000. It's the fact that they were founded by a false prophet who prophesied falsely several, three different times. In fact, he prophesied the first time and he said Jehovah was coming back on a particular date and he didn't come back. Now, at that point, everybody should have stopped listening to him because he lied. Okay? Okay. Just like if there were prophets that prophesied about this election and they were wrong, stop listening to them. They're not prophets. They're not. And we got one right down the street from us who is a false prophet and he needs to stop preaching. Plain and simple. I don't mind calling him out, Greg Locke. You prophesy falsely, you're done. You're finished. Don't ever declare something is coming from God if it didn't come from God. But guys, let me tell you something. This guy prophesied Jehovah was coming back. He didn't come back. He changed the date. People still believed him. He didn't come back the second time. He predicted a third time. He didn't come back the third time. So in order not to be wrong that time, he came back to him and him alone, and told him about the hundred forty-four thousand guys. Let me tell you something. If God is, is gives you and you're the only one that gets the information, you're a liar. Sorry. But this is the guy they follow. Every time a Jehovah's Witness comes to my house, I read that passage in Deuteronomy. It says, if a false prophet prophesies falsely in one manner, he's a false prophet, you should not listen to him. That's usually when they get up and leave. But they also don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus is God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. There's a whole lot of things that the Jehovah's Witnesses have wrong, but I will tell you the one thing they have right. Boy, they will get out there and witness. They will get out there and witness. Can I tell you what I, I've often said this, can I tell you what I believe the perfect Christian is? All right, you ready for this? They have Baptist beliefs, Pentecostal worship, and Jehovah's Witness feet. Seriously? All right, next, Mormons. How many of you know about the Latter-day Saints? Just go walk out here at Don Fox Park. There's two of them out there all the time. They'll be ready to tell you all about them. The Mormons are considered by most people to be also another denomination, but they are not. They are another religion. Their founder was Joseph Smith during the 1820s. And after his death, it was Brigham Young, who was the one who began to lead the Mormons, and he moved them to Utah. I guess they have less laws in Utah about polygamy. I don't know. But he moved them all to Utah. But the problem with the Mormons are a lot of things. But the biggest one that we find on this sheet is this. Mormons have a scriptural canon consisting of the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and a collection of revelations and writings by Joseph Smith known as the Doctrine of the Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. There is nothing that holds a candle to this book. Nothing. Nothing. If you have a preacher that puts anything on equal with the Word of God, he is a false prophet. Do not listen to him. They hold the Book of Mormon as high as they hold the Word of God, and that's a problem. They also have it wrong when it comes to salvation. But I will tell you one thing that the Mormons have right. They know how to treat family. They are all about the family. But they are another religion, not a denomination. Now, I bring all this up to you guys simply because I want you to understand why we're Southern Baptists. And you'll see on that last page, there's a lot of different things we're going to go over. A lot of different doctrines from salvation to eternal security to the Trinity to Scripture to church. We're going to go over all these different things because I want you to understand why we are who we are. I want you to know why you believe what you believe. And here's the thing. If you have any questions when I get done... I will stay here as long as I need to, to go over it with you. Because I want you to grasp and understand these doctrines because they are so vital and so very important. I want you to get that. I promise you, if you'll come over the next nine to ten months, you will grow more in your relationship with Christ than you've ever grown before. Because we're going to dig in very deep into the Scriptures and understand what God desires for us to know and believe and live as Christians. So I hope you'll keep joining us each week. But I also hope that you'll understand. I have no problem with other denominations. I will work with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Who believe in Jesus Christ. That believe he is the only way. That believe that he died for their sins and rose again. I will work with them all day long. Why? Why? Because we are all going to be in heaven together one day. We are no better than them. We all need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is of utmost importance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for this time together. I pray, God, that you guide us.